0: Video Game, the
1: Movie, the Podcast. Welcome to Video Game, the Movie, the Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Bertram. I am another
0: host, Mackenzie Easton.
2: And I am another another host, Lexi
1: Conwell. And this week we are talking about the 1994 movie Double Dragon, which is based off the 1988 arcade game of the same name. 2007 Los Angeles The city has changed Cops rule the day Punks rule the night And one man wants to rule them all There's only one thing he needs to succeed.
2: This is only half of it. Find me the other half now. And look
1: who's got it. It magnifies the power inside you. This half gives power over the body. All right, so where's the on button? Now, two brothers will stop at nothing to protect their half. Look out! And a madman will stop at nothing
0: to possess it. You're gonna love this. Let's have some fun. Who wants gum? If they succeed, they're heroes. But if he does,
1: they're history. Watch your step. Time to skin you guys. T2's Robert Patrick, Scott Wolf, Mark DeCostos, and Alyssa Milano, Double Dragon. You said it. We don't really have to wear these, do we?
0: The second in our chronological run of video game movies here. So this came out... How long after Super Mario Brothers? Like, Uh,
1: it was the next year. The next year. And it was actually the same year as the Street Fighter movie, which is next. They're about a month or two apart in release
0: date. This was a good time for. Well, no, it wasn't.
1: No.
2: We'll
0: get into that. (laughs) We'll get into that.
2: They tried to release a lot of fighting game movies at this exact time. We'll leave it at that for now.
0: Yeah, it took them like three to get one that's even halfway decent, which we'll eventually get to. Uh, so as you can tell from most of our reactions here so far, Double Dragon's not what I would call a good movie. Would you guys concur? Concur. Yes. <laughs> Concurrence has been reached. Lexi, uh, g- g- what, what's your initial thoughts on this one? Uh,
2: Well, my initial initial thoughts are... Weird, white, cultural appropriation of Chinese culture.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I actually um, have... I've got to give this movie the slightest, tiniest bit of credit. It doesn't have any explicit yellow face in it.
2: That's true. It doesn't. They... The character... The... What's his name? Billy? The, the younger one in blue um, was like...
0: Yeah. He's white.
2: Notably Jewish, but like... His brother is Asian and his mom is Asian.
0: I mean she's not their mom. Right, it's weird. It's weird. Anyways, there aren't any characters made up to look Asian. Billy is clearly like a white Jewish kid, but they don't do anything to try to make him look Asian. His brother is an Asian actor and the other like Asian lead female character is a Singaporean actress. They could have probably gotten away with not doing that in the 90s and I mean, good, I guess. I mean, this is like the bar is really low here. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't do the very racist thing. Uh, Nathan, an initial, initial thought?
1: This movie is just an absolute mess from beginning to end. Yeah. It has this weird obsession with being a dystopian sci fi movie where it doesn't need to be. And the stuff that's happening in the setting. Has no bearing on what's going on in the actual story at all, and it just comes across as feeling super out of place.
0: Yeah, th- super out of place, I think, is a very good descriptor for this movie. So, which one of us wants to volunteer for a quick rundown of the plot duty?
2: I mean, I can do it. I have a little, I kind of have a better idea of how to not make it extremely long and messy like I did last time.
0: To be fair, there's not much to this movie, so I'd be impressed if you could get much out of it. <laughs> so, uh, Lexi, go for it. Quick rundown of the plot time.
2: Basically, there are two brothers, and they have one saw half of a magical Chinese amulet called the Double Dragon. And opposing them is the villain, Koga Shuko, whose real name is Victor Geisman, because he's just like this weird, appropriative, white businessman who has the other half of the double dragon and is obsessed with dominating all of New Angeles which is a post earthquake San Diego Los Angeles fusion according to INDB. it's just Los Angeles in the movie and it, they they run away from him a bunch he unites the gangs of the city against them they eventually beat him and become defenders of ye old magic amulet
0: yes That's actually a very good, concise rundown. Meanwhile, the, like, Los Angeles stuff and the gangs, which are, like, only sort of connected. There's this entire side plot with Marion, who is a teenage girl, like, their age, who runs a, like revolutionary movement in Los- or in New Angeles that does charity work and prevents the gangs from hurting people and like rescues orphans on the streets because the police department has made a deal with the gangs to that the gangs own the city at night and the police don't do anything about it and Marion's dad is also the chief of police and it's like this entire thing that's going on that is in no way important
1: this whole subplot could be its own movie. A much better movie,
0: actually. And w- and much
1: better. Probably be way more interesting.
0: Because <laughs> I'm gonna give this movie some credit here, again. I actually think the setting stuff, the, like, world building of New Angeles, is pretty good.
2: Yeah, same. I totally agree.
0: It's, the the problem isn't that it's this weird New Angeles post-earthquake, kind of, almost climate change apocalypse situation. It's, it's like a very familiar kind of apocalypse, in a way, because, uh, urban centers being dystopias was really big in the 80s and 90s because that's when urban growth had reached its peak before we figured out how to deal with crime rates in large cities. It was before New York and Los Angeles became yuppie strongholds when they were like filled with gangs and the crime rates were like really really high. So like the concept isn't original but the way they deal with it often is it's really well fleshed out. I like really laughed at the part where they're like fighting on a riverboat and then like a Hollywood tour comes by and they're on a riverboat. And I was like, oh, that's great.
1: Well, yeah, because the earthquake has caused flooding that has turned the Hollywood Hills into a like river. Yeah. And so they have Star Tours Hollywood River boats that are doing tours over uh, Hollywood Hills, which is a, a good joke.
0: Yeah, I'm going to... We haven't mentioned this yet. This movie is set in the 13 years of the future from the time the movie was made the distant year of 2007 (laughs) now unlike most movies that are set in the past that are supposed to be the future they don't have any really weird tech things and they the like apocalypse they come up with given what they knew at the time and even given stuff they weren't thinking about like global warming and climate change makes a lot of sense
1: They, they do have cars that run on garbage and weird that's the weird thing yeah um, like, computers that they can use to search people by license plate and get, like, full 3D images of them. Yeah. I
0: mean, the, the images aren't 3D so much as they are driver's license photos. The cars are 3D models.
1: They've got virtual reality.
0: I feel like that's it. A-
1: oh, yeah, and the VR, and the v- shows But that's up like at one point and then is not actually important at all. It's no. about
0: as good as 2007 VR was there, so it's not really that far off.
1: That's very much the 90s interpretation of what VR was going to be, and it never really got there at that time. I mean, now we're past that.
0: Yeah, It's a weird middle zone, so I'm, I'm yeah. going to give them a pass on that. I think the weird license plate scanner thing was probably based on the fact that people were using radio scanners to pick up police signals in their cars, mm. and they thought, well, police cars have tools to search license plates, so they're gonna get something like that. Which obviously didn't happen, but honestly, given social media and stuff, I don't think it's the most absurd concept on the planet. The car the trash car thing is. I don't know what was going on with trash car.
1: I don't know, maybe they saw Back to the Future part two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but I've gotta give them credit that the world building was interesting. They did some interest some like Uh, stuff with celebrities in the like news brackets that I thought was kind of funny. Vanna White was just there. Vanna White is there Andy Dick is the weatherman and Andy Dick is horrible but the fact that he was a weatherman in this movie was funny Uh, there's like news mentions that like Tom Arnold and Madonna got married and divorced in this universe so I don't know I would watch a movie set in this world it's just not this one.
2: It's truly the darkest timeline. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> eh, I don't know if if like waterlogged LA is the cost I'd have to get to get rid of like the Trump presidency and the Bush presidency and like a million other things I would take that I'd take that bargain I'm sorry guys That's It's also
1: over- overrun with gangs though yeah it's also
0: overrun with gangs the other thing this world reminded me of there's like a line at some point in time that says uh, something along the lines of when the quakes hit everything went to crap and the feds didn't help us which I was just like okay I know this movie was made before Katrina but that is exactly what happened with, with Hurricane Katrina and New Orleans <laughs> like the government didn't do anything and then a bunch of crime and stuff happened while the city was falling apart because it was flooded to crap only they didn't have earthquakes, they had a flood. Uh, so let's talk about the movie. Oh. <laughs> I do want to go over the opening on this because this uh, we only got three minutes into this movie before we had to pause it and talk to each other about it because I yeah. was just
1: baffled. This was wild. Do you,
0: Lexi? Do you remember what the actual opening of this movie is?
2: Oh, that was where they were burning down a village in China, at, somewhere in China, hidden away, and finding this am- this lady with a whip named Lash, who is just like a random henchman, henchwoman of Kugo. Koga Shuko is just like steals half the amulet from some cave where this monk hides trying to avoid drawing her to this exact cave.
0: Yeah, the thing that's that struck me as being particularly wild about this is one, it opens with voiceover, which is pretty typical apparently for video game movies. They feel the need to open with voiceover to explain what the world is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, voiceover about the the double dragon pendant, whatever, this is fine, goes into this ancient looking asian village with a bunch of monks and ninjas and they have like a ninja fight and then they go into this ancient temple And then she gets the amulet, pulls off her mask, and she's a white blonde lady. Yeah. And then pulls out a computer. And my brain was like, wait, what? (laughs) And then it immediately cuts to-
1: Cut to New Angeles after the quake
0: 2007. 2007. (laughs) And then it's revealed that the monologuing voiceover the whole time has been the villain, describing this to the hench people who just got back from that mission.
1: The villain is- just telling his henchmen what the Devil Dragon amulet is. After he sent them office. to get there. They just like he's narrating the opening scene to the people that were just there <laughs> doing the thing. I I didn't
2: even pick up on that. That is incredibly stupid. But then again, he is stupid.
0: The villain is my favorite part of this movie. That's
2: fair, but he is incredibly stupid as a character.
1: The character, yeah, the performance is like really campy and fun. Yeah,
2: that's I agree. He knows
0: what movie he's in. (laughs) Yeah. He knows what movie he's in, and he's doing an amazing villain performance. This guy is killing it, and this guy isn't just some rando either. Uh, Nathan, would you like to inform upon who this guy is?
1: Uh, Have you ever seen Terminator 2? I haven't have okay he's the t1000 robert patrick
0: he is the villain from the terminator 2 one of the most intimidating like villains in cinema history for a lot of people wow you know you've seen probably the clips of the like guy in the cop uniform who like melts through a set of iron bars and can like turn his hand into a knife that's played by this guy
2: okay wow
0: so that's what he was doing i guess the The other person, well, okay, there's two other people of note in this movie, acting-wise. There's uh, Marion, who is my other favorite part of this movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. who is Alyssa Milano, who is, like, a name. Yeah. Like, she was less of a name then, but <laughs> yeah. And then Jimmy Lee isn't really a name, but we coincidentally saw his most recent performance like the week before we recorded this. He is the primary assassin in John Wick 3. Yeah. And he's really good in that. Yeah,
1: it's amazing.
0: He learned how to act at some point in time in the last like 30 years. Yeah,
2: I'm really proud of him. He's been in so many things.
0: Yeah, he's... And he like clearly actually knows how to like fight and stuff, which I don't know if he did then. It's hard to tell in this movie because the choreo is bad. But Mm. like... In John Wick 3, he's killing it. He's not killing John Wick because that's hard to do. Yeah. But he's killing his performance. (laughs) Um,
2: I was actually, as far as, like, the choreography in this movie, I was impressed by the first fight scene with the brothers in the dojo or, like, the, the sparring match. Yeah. But all of the, that set the bar, like, like it was good and then everything else from then on was awful
0: yeah this movie has a serious fight choreography problem right nathan oh yeah for sure oh you're looking up another actor
1: oh yeah th- another actor i wanted to mention i'm just always happy whenever he pops up in anything but al Liang plays one of the henchmen <laughs> and he is the inexplicable chinese terrorist in diehard who is with all of the germans okay And he's just a character actor and he's great and he'll just show up in a movie from time to time. And I just, I wanted to highlight that.
0: Yeah. Nathan was staring really hard at the first sequence of the movie, being like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure that's the guy from Die Hard.
1: (laughs) Oh, he's also Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. Wow.
0: So there's like some people in this movie who show up from time to time, but that's not much of a saving grace. Nathan, what did you think about all of the fights in this? kung fu kind of movie
1: yeah i mean a lot of the time a lot of the time you have gangs that are fighting these two specific characters the lee brothers and the choreography is so like clumsy and there's so many characters that are just in the background like hitting things and waving their limbs around <laughs> Yeah, and like the foley work in the fight scenes is also really bad.
0: Yeah it makes it so much worse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's just like it's, it's just impossible to follow and also just really stupid.
0: Like I think they hired the guy who plays Jimmy because he knew how to do karate and I think they hired Billy because they thought he was like charming and funny, which i would disagree with for the most part, but i get why they cast those two guys. The problem is i don't think they had stunt people for literally any of the other characters except for no, i think any of the other characters because the problem isn't that the motions of the fights are bad, it's that they're really really badly timed. Mm-hmm. Like nobody is reacting to anything realistically. Nobody looks like they're getting hit. Everybody looks like and it's i i mentioned this when we were watching it. It would have been better had they been reacting even more stupidly. If they had gone really crazy, if they'd like thrown themselves across the room when they got hit, as opposed to just like dodging out of the way, Mm -hmm. because right now it just looks like a middle school like play where these kids don't quite know how to do fight choreography, but they looked up a video on YouTube about it instead of like either a good kung fu fight or a campy nonsense. It's like boringly mediocre instead of anything. The most obvious point for this for me was there is a scene where they're being chased by all of the gangs and the brothers have gotten into a boathouse. Yeah. Okay, fine. Good setup. So they're trying to break down the boathouse to get into the to to kill the brothers basically and steal their necklace. But anytime, like, everybody is banging against the walls of this, but anytime anybody puts any force on the wall at all, it breaks through. Like, several people break through, but only at choreographed moments. So it's really, really clear that nobody else is touching it, because it's incredibly fragile. Yeah. It's really bad. And then also, one of the only good jokes in the movie happens in that scene where he gets on the motorcycle and it just falls apart. That was pretty good. That one's funny.
1: This movie has maybe three jokes that actually land in the entire (laughs) runtime.
0: Yeah, there's that. Uh, So what do we think of the characters? Let's go over them. So uh, our lead characters, Jimmy and Billy. You have this Very basic
1: setup that a lot of movies, even now, but especially of the period, use. And I think you could probably lump Super Mario Brothers into this as well, where you have the one character who is like kind of more emotional and a little bit more reckless and intuitive, and you have the other one who is distant and rational and is less willing to jump into things and that's basically what these two characters are and there really isn't that much besides that
2: yeah i was really shocked actually uh like so at some point during some satori ends up getting their adopted mother guardian or whatever gets killed and they fridged (laughs) and get and they run off and leave and are next to a river, and Billy is being sad, but then Jimmy is just like, no, screw this, I'm not going, we're not going to have any emotions about her ever again because she's dead, I'm going to throw her photo in the river, we're we're done here, and it was just like, what?
0: Yeah, Jimmy is a complete asshole in that scene. Like, by the end of it, I get what they were going for, but he is not being, like, stoic, he's being a dick.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
0: Like, there's a difference between Uh, one of the characters not reacting at all and saying we have to keep moving and one of them being like sad about it and Jimmy like yelling at his brother about being sad that their guardian and like I don't know how long they've known each other but like a really long time it is implied that even before their father died they were like close. Yeah. And she's dead now to save them. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Also, I've got to get on this for a second here. They just wanted to fridge her There is no point to her death. It's incredibly stupid because she knows the villain can turn into a ghost. Right. And she does a self-sacrifice to keep him in the building, which no, she's already seen him turn into a ghost. Like, if it was before we knew he turned into a ghost and it was a mystery how he got out, sure, but we already know he can turn into a ghost.
2: Yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that, but I remember thinking about that at the time. It was pretty stupid. The door wasn't even locked. She was just holding on to it.
0: Yeah, she was just, like, <laughs> staying there to keep him in the building, but, like, she knew that wasn't gonna, like, she should have known that wasn't gonna work. And it wasn't, like, a fast-paced situation where that kind of thing could slip by. It was, like, very methodical. It was really dumb. Also, like, a different person survives that fire later, so, like, she didn't even have to be dead in the, like, movies logic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that was dumb. Uh, So, yeah. They're really bland lead characters, Billy and, oh my god, Jack, right? Jimmy. (laughs) Jimmy. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs>
1: so bland he can't even remember their names
0: <laughs> yeah sorry jimmy's kind of an asshole and billy is like really annoying for the first like third of this movie then satori dies and he becomes a lot less annoying he's really really annoying up until that point um afterwards he has the only one with a semblance of emotional stability yeah. so he's slightly less terrible uh th- the idea is that he's the goofy emotional one i guess but there also there's this they have a very weird relationship with Marion where it's clear that Billy kind of has a thing for her and Jimmy has beef with her for no apparent reason.
2: Yeah. Then at the end Jimmy and Marion are ki- kind of get together, don't they?
0: It well no, I think they're just doing that to like make Billy jealous as a joke, <sighs> but like it doesn't matter. Nobody has chemistry in this movie. Yeah,
2: the the romance was so forced. I mean, it's based on the games, it really but tacked like, on. it just was there, and it didn't make any sense. There was one scene where they're infiltrating uh, Geisman's tower, and we just get a, like a sh- big close-up of Marion's butt.
0: We get two of those. There's two of those shots. The first one is earlier, yeah. and it's really annoying. She's
1: climbing in a vent, and they just stare at her. Yeah. And then they jostle each other to get into the vent behind her.
0: This movie does not treat its female character as well, which is kind of a shame because the characters themselves are actually pretty good. It treats it better than the game.
2: Oh uh, yeah, that's true.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> but like which Satori. Is not a high bar. <laughs> yeah, not a high bar. But like Satori is like a pretty decent character in theory. She's like a woman who has taken in these two kids because uh of a deal she made with their father before he passed and she's like really dedicated to taking care of this ancient very dangerous thing and she's trying really hard to keep the world safe while also taking care of these two rambunctious boys. But then she gets fridged. And Marion is like a great character I would love to see an entire film about. And most of the time the movie's okay with her, but then it just has butt shots for no apparent reason. I mean, like, I get it. Alyssa Milano's hot. I don't need a shot of just her butt to know that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fine. She's got a cute blonde pixie cut and surprisingly attractive outfits for the 90s. That's all I need. <laughs>
1: She's very much uh, 90s hot in this movie. Yeah. I guess I'm into that. I don't know. It's not a criticism. It's just the style is (laughs) is very much of the time. True.
2: I thought the style was kind of weird because it's not something I'd seen before, but
1: I I liked it. I was
2: worried because, you know, costume design can be complicated with characters and like um, character agency and whatever, but it, it was still cool. I don't know.
0: I mean- The costume design is not good in this movie. Only Marion looks good. Yeah. (laughs) Only Marion looks good. I want to talk about the costume design because it's come up. Okay, go for it. Okay. I want you guys to tell me what stuck out about the costumes in this movie. Lexi, do you have any thoughts about the costumes in this movie?
2: Oh, well, okay. So the costumes, one of the costumes, they were all like stereotypes of different things. I remember there was the Mohawk gang, which was mohawks and like face paint that was vaguely native american and there was an actual joke about the last of the mohicans which was like ooh. um
0: oh i missed that but ouch yeah also they're wearing like bad punk gear yeah a thrift shop (laughs) what can i say but yikes
2: (laughs) um i saw some like preps running around as gang people uh
0: at that point i i wrote down in my notes there seems to be a schoolboy gang yeah (laughs) because there are there are multiple gangsters in the backgrounds of shots that are wearing sweater vests and like schoolboy uniforms and a couple that have those little round hats with the propellers on the top yeah it's incredibly weird but not the weirdest of the gangs. oh
2: there was the mailman
0: I don't know if the mailman was a gang member or just a genuine mail carrier who got killed. No, he
2: jumped at them. He was attacking them by jumping off a roof, which didn't work at all. But I think he was part of a mailman gang.
1: Yeah, there's more of them in the background in other scenes, too. Yeah.
0: That's not even the weirdest one, though. I mean, the it's the weirdest one in the film because suddenly there's a mailman jumping at them. But it's not the weirdest as far as gang themes go. Because I say definitely the weirdest gang theme in this movie is the fucking clowns. Oh, God. <laughs> The f- there's clowns. I mean, they're mimes. They look more like mimes than clowns. They have Mr. Mime Gloves. Yeah. Their hands look exactly like a Mr. Mimes. It's terrifying. This was two years before Pokemon, mind you. So that was, a, I guess, a scary premonition of video games to come. But there's just these gangsters with white face paint and mime gloves, and terrible mime outfits. And they're in a surprisingly high number of the shots. It's not like a background, will have some of these guys around thing. It's like there are a couple serious, like, the gangs are coming shots that feature a mime prominently.
1: Yeah. Ugh. And then there's, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, there's the Maniacs, which are a <laughs> gang of, like... The, it, their design is very grounded. They're just these like muscular, bald gangsters with like tattoos on their foreheads.
0: They're skinheads. Yeah, yeah. They're supposed to be skinheads. They're supposed to be Nazis. Oh wow. They just didn't want to use swastikas. I
1: yeah. didn't pick up on that. They're very prominent in one scene where all the gangs convene to have this discussion about what to do about the police, and that this guy is just like front and center in this scene, and then he gets choked to death by the villain
0: there's also hippies yeah the hip but the (laughs) gangsters dressed as hippies
2: the hippies though are you referring to the power core which is the like anti-gang no no
0: there's just like actual gang members dressed in like 70s clothes and then there's also a couple that look kind of like cowboys it's really weird
1: it's very much escape from new york by way of the warriors
0: but again this isn't central. These no, no. gangs aren't the focus of the movie. They are <laughs> None just of this antagonists. Matters. They could just as easily be hired goons, which the villain already has hired goons, so it's entirely unnecessary.
1: By the way, this is one of my favorite things that I discovered in my research. The two goons, uh, the two Asian guys that are around at the beginning, and they're just like. They pop, up they pop up occasionally. They pop up occasionally. Their names in the cast are. Huey and Lewis.
0: <laughs> Huey, Louie, Jimmy, and Billy. Oh my god. I mean, one of my favorite bits, actually the only one of the only other jokes that lands in this movie for me is at the very end of the movie where Huey and Lewis are like on the side of the road trying was, to hitchhike out of town.
2: That was one of the good jokes. Will hench for food. <laughs> Will yes.
0: hench for food. Like that I wish this landed. movie was about those guys now. Yeah. I want Rosie Cress and Guildenstern are dead, but about Huey and Lewis in The
2: Backhand
1: <laughs> of Double Dragon. The adventures of Huey and Lewis.
2: Yeah. yeah, they disappear fairly often. Like, they're not relevant to the movie in any way, but where are they? It's
0: like they just couldn't afford them. Mm. <laughs> they, like, have the whip woman a lot more because she's also kind of sexy, I guess. I
1: guess? And so they can have a woman to put opposite Marion mm. in the fight scenes.
0: Yeah, but they they only really fight the once. And then Marion, yeah. who has shown herself capable of, like, fighting and has been leading a street gang for a while and is, like, obviously a pretty talented person, is in the climax of the movie is, like, trying to start a generator.
2: Yeah, Yeah. That's what they did with her. I mean, she <laughs> tied up like... Lash. She did tie up Lash.
0: Oh, she does stuff... Uh, other times, but I was just baffled by their decision to have so many shots of her pulling a crank on a generator. Yeah. Oh, also, so they trigger the amulet power. They The way he finally triggers the body power for the amulet is by, like, getting frustrated at it and throwing it away. Yeah, he
2: just yeets it across the room and it flies back to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is a neat power if you want to hit someone in the head with some jewelry, but that's about it. Also, like,
1: why would that be the way to activate? Right? <laughs> you just threw it at the guy who was trying to get it.
2: Okay, so I do it's have like a theory. supposed to be
0: a. Okay. Oh, okay.
2: You're probably going to say it.
0: No, you go for the theory. I'm...
2: Okay, basically, like, he's like, as he yeets it at the guy who's trying to take it. He's like, I could do better without you. And it's like, oh, this, like, because he's accepted that he doesn't need the amulet, he can have the amulet or whatever. He's worthy. I don't know. That's what I got out of it.
0: Yeah. That's what it was going for. But the soul half doesn't do that. Yeah. The soul half activates by
1: rubbing
0: (laughs) (laughs) it. It's just, movie is dumb.
1: the gap between the thematic importance of how you use these two halves of the amulet is is just like the grand canyon
0: (laughs) Uh. oh there's also a moment the, the way that the villain gets the second half of the amulet for the climax is the boys like Jimmy is possessed for a little while and they get into a fight and then somehow Billy knocks Jimmy over and it like shakes the villain out of him and he's so like caught up with having his brother back he doesn't bother to grab the amulet off the ground like five feet away from them yeah like it's right next to them he could have grabbed it before he like hugged his brother and had a chat with him about how they're both dumb idiots (laughs) but he doesn't and it's like the thing it reminded me most of was Justice League where there's this major twist in the climax build up of Justice League where they're trying to keep these magic boxes away from the villain because if he gets them he'll end the world and they let him get one of the magic boxes by having it left on a car and not going to get it Uh, it's like incredible so it's exactly like that but even dumber because it's closer and it's a necklace (laughs) Ugh. Also the amulets look really cheesy And like cheap looking mm-hmm.
1: It looks like a really big version Of one of those Best friend necklace like pendants
0: <laughs> Yeah I feel like me And like my best friend in elementary school Could have won these at Rutgers If we tried really <laughs> hard <laughs> uh, This play is uh... like 2000 tickets and you get the like Bad amulet
1: But of course it's that for like 13 year old boys
0: Which means they're dragons. To be fair, 13-year-old girls also like dragons.
2: Absolutely. But it's the
1: 90s. We don't know that. True enough. Oh, if we can go back to the costume design for a minute. Of course. There are two things I want to talk about. Uh, The the first is the bedazzled sequined... uniforms that they get for uh, completing the double dragon. Yeah, which yes. looks that was completely bad. ridiculous. It was so bad.
0: They are like <laughs> disco geese. Yeah. Is, they are like bright red and blue disco geese.
1: In the climax of this movie, they defeat the villain by they put the two halves of the Devil Dragon amulet together and the power of their brotherhood activates the amulet and they transform into these just ridiculous <laughs> outfits it's like the three ninjas but disco
2: god
0: it's very you're right it's like, the... like do you guys remember how in homestuck when dirk turns into god tier, he's very disappointed by his poofy pants yes these are worse than that
2: yeah that that's
0: I mean that's, that's a fair. very niche reference, but I feel it's justified in this one case. I feel like the Homestuck yeah.
2: police are gonna come after us and we'll just look back at them as the Homestuck police. It'll be fine.
1: Uh, okay, the second thing second I thing. talk about is a Bobo.
2: Oh yeah Abobo. I actually felt oh, that's that for another him. character.
1: This is one of the ugliest looking prosthetic makeup design jobs I've ever seen.
0: And entirely unnecessary again. Absolutely.
1: So one of the gang leaders is this I think it's the like one of the the heads of the Mohawk Mm -hmm. gang. Uh he gets taken to the basement by the villain and turned into like a hulking monster kind of guy. Like he essentially just gets
2: Orange and bulbous.
1: Totally roided up and then Yeah. But they put him in this like rubber suit it's like a fat suit modified to look kind of like maybe it's muscle but also it's just got these huge lumpy sections all around his neck and it just looks disgusting
0: i mean he looks like a tumor yeah yeah Uh, and the thing is he doesn't look strong he looks really unsteady he looks sick he
2: can barely move in that thing
0: yeah, it doesn't yeah. look. He doesn't look intimidating. He looks sad.
2: And they kind of treat him that way later, which is nice. Yeah,
0: after his first fight scene, you kind of start feeling bad for him. There's actually one of the other jokes that I thought was kind of funny is he gets like taken in by Marion in the Power Core, and they want information from him. And instead of torturing God. him, they just feed him a lot of spinach. Were,
2: they force feed him a lot of spinach. That's an important distinction. It's a
1: torture scene. <laughs>
0: I mean, they it's not.
2: They force feed him spinach.
0: The, true. I mean, it's still bad, but it's less bad than a lot of other forms of torture.
2: Is it, though?
0: They could have force fed him spinach. <laughs> I don't know if this material is going to make it up. <laughs> That's got really dark. We'll probably cut this first. You're <laughs> not going to talk about <laughs> in our Double Dragon podcast? No. Dang.
1: I think this goes beyond the explicit tag on iTunes. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, no, I do feel kind of bad for a Bobo by the end. And he does like seem to be reformed by the end. Mm-hmm. So I guess now they just have a mutant pal.
2: Yeah, they give they let him drive the car. I'm really unsure why. I think Jimmy had this thought that Billy was in control. It was like, like ghost yeah, controlling. Yeah, that's the thought. but like Billy doesn't have the spirit amulet Jimmy does yeah
0: Yeah. he
1: can't
2: do that
0: (laughs) (laughs) not very smart Billy's not very smart the only smart people in this movie are Marion Satori and Satori isn't that smart though she does the very dumb self-sacrifice yeah I think the villain mostly behaves fairly intelligently. He doesn't make any really stupid decisions. He's
2: terrible at fighting, though. He goes into fights and just gets beaten up.
0: Oh, he's personally bad at fighting, but most of his decisions mean he is not fighting personally most of the time. Mm. So he's relatively intelligent. The cop dad gets more intelligent by the end of the movie when he's like, oh, yeah, my daughter had a point. I'll like be a good cop now. Yeah. But he takes a while to get there. <laughs> Uh, there's one more costume design thing, and that is when they first meet Marion in the Power Core, they're all wearing these jackets that perfectly blend into the graffiti on the wall. That
2: was really funny.
0: That's really great. And then uh, Marion's outfit for the rest of the movie is shorts with a green tank top, a matching pin that like matches her belt buckle, and the sleeves of that jacket as both, like, leggings and like gloves oh
2: is that what those were okay Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. it's wild i mean i like it but it's wild yeah uh so we talked more about the costume design in this movie than we normally do i'm gonna talk a bit about the sound design we talked about how bad the foley is the score is also very bad
2: it sounded to me like they had just directly taken sound from video games and plugged it in
0: it's very cheap
1: Yeah, there are a bunch of people listed. There's like about four people listed in the music department on IMDb, but nobody listed specifically as the composer. Oh, Oh, that's not a good sign. So I don't know if one of those people actually wrote the music or if this was just like... This was all public domain. They just threw it together.
0: (laughs) there's, There's like three options. Either it was collaborative... Either it was all public domain, or the composer was so ashamed of himself he <laughs> begged IMDb to remove him from <laughs> the listings. Now I don't think IMDb usually does that, so it's probably one or two, but I choose to believe it's three. Oh, also, Lexi, this is a very minor point. At one point in time, someone squeezes Cheese Whiz into a car to make it go fast. They
2: throw they throw the whole thing in. They don't squeeze it in, okay. but yeah. Is
0: that what Cheese Whiz comes in in America in like aerosol cans? Yes. I have never seen one of these in my human life. When you come to my wedding, can you bring me a can of cheese ke- like cheese whiz, in a can, so that I can like experience this? Uh,
2: I mean, I can if I drive. Those aren't allowed on planes. It's aerosol. Yeah, probably
0: have luggage.
2: It's an aerosol can. Those explode.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. There's if a reason the car over-
2: goes faster.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was some kind of joke about cheese whiz. <laughs> Cheese Whiz, for those of our American listeners, comes in jars in Canada, like peanut butter.
2: Wait, really? Yeah, yep. it's
0: like a spreadable Then where's thing. the whiz part? That's a good question. I'd never thought of it that way.
1: I mean, I guess it's just a meaningless brand name here.
0: Yeah, we just kind of thought it was a brand thing. Huh. On some level, I knew cheese Whiz in an aerosol can was a thing, but I just never really dro- dawned on me until now that that's the actual <laughs> form.
1: I knew that was a thing because of the Goofy movie where... Max's classmate pulls out a can of Cheese Whiz and makes the Leaning Tower of Pisa in his hands out of cheese, no. <laughs> and it looks delicious.
0: <laughs> See, no, I knew about aerosol can cheese. I just didn't really connect that with our Cheese Whiz for some reason. That's fair.
1: It's totally fair.
0: Now, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but this movie is really not that interesting. To be completely frank, we've made it no. sound more interesting than it is. It's really kind of a slog.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just. It's this very messy amalgamation of like half a dozen other movies from the time period and a lot of things that culture was interested in in the 80s. There's lots of stuff about rising crime and the environment, but none of it actually matters in the grand scheme of things. There's this thread that gets brought up but doesn't ever really get explored in the movie is that there's a conversation where the villain implies that him unearthing, I don't know if it was the amulet or something else is what caused the great earthquake that destroyed the city.
0: Yeah, there's that. That's
1: brought up and then never addressed again. Yeah. He
0: also tells them that he killed his they killed his dad and they don't really go into a lot on that. What was it? There was something else. Oh, right. There's also just zombies in the basement, and that never gets addressed again. There were zombies? We don't know how. Well, there was, like, all of the, like, like, frozen corpses or, like, like, coma victims that the villain keeps in his basement and then ghosts into. Yeah. But, like, we don't know how they got there. We don't know why he had them there, because we don't know if he knew that this was the power from the amulet or not. And then it's never addressed again once they get out.
1: It's never explained, but I think I figured it out. Okay, I I think these are former victims of the machine he used on a Bobo.
2: Right. That I. That's my impression as well.
0: Okay, but that's still wild.
2: It's still dumb, and
0: they don't <laughs> but, ever explain that.
2: Yeah, they, they don't. It's just implied. It's just, they're Jimmy also not, like it. Jimmy also states at some point that they're in some kind of suspended animation. That is an actual line he says which I don't know how he would know that and what that means in this instance.
1: I mean, the director of this movie was quoted in an interview as saying that he specifically wanted this movie to be friendly to kids, (laughs) which is wild, I mean, but maybe that's why that line is in there. Maybe he was trying to like assuage the fears of children that this was a room full of dead people. Hmm.
0: I mean, there there was this trend in the late 80s, early er, yeah, early 90s to mid 90s of like kung fu movies for kids. It was a thing. Yeah, there was like Three this Foot Ninja. This is probably the worst of those. Yeah, um what was the one that you grew up with?
1: I grew up with the three ninjas, the sequel of which actually came out the same year as this movie.
0: Okay. So like this was a thing. Yeah. Or karate kid was right around there. Like there was a trend I don't know why. I mean I guess culture just kind of got kung fu movies and karate movies, martial arts movies in general, like in the seventies and eighties, they kind of became big in North America. Mm -hmm. And then I guess that's just the distance between when something is interesting to adults and when it becomes cannibalized for children's <laughs> entertainment this movie is weird uh there's also like some i, I want to just do another weird world building thing that i noticed at one point in time there's an oxygen station that's yeah. like a public payphone that two guys are arguing over <laughs> oh yeah oh
2: god
0: there's oh let's talk about what the double dragon actually does shall we oh yeah we okay probably do that. So, Lexi, the double dragon as the like magical MacGuffin that this entire movie is formulated around. What what are its abilities? What does it do, and how does it function?
2: So, the double dragon has two halves, and one half represents the soul and powers over that, and then the other half is the body. And basically, the person who created it was like, no one person can, no one person should ever be able to hold these. Blah blah blah. At the same time. Uh, basically the soul half we see a lot of used by kogashuko who uses it to turn in turn into a like shadow wisp ghost thing that can like strangle people with their their shadow and control bodies and just kind of be whooshy indestructible sometimes and then the other half is the body amulet which is used almost never during the entire movie and has some nebulous powers over body, including indestructibility, but that's all we see.
0: Yeah, it seems like the soul half makes you a god and the body half makes you like Captain America, maybe. Maybe.
1: There's also this, I mean, there's this throwaway line that is clearly there to keep the movie from just being completely broken. (laughs) that w- the powers of one half can't work on the bearer of the other half. Oh, yeah. Which is why Shuko cannot just possess Jimmy and steal the amulet. Right, there was that as well. Yeah. Well, and then <laughs> there's also this weird thing that when, so there's a a point during the climax where Shuko gets uh, both of, halves of the amulet and puts them together, and he just like, splits like cellular mitosis style into two warriors with swords this has never been established (laughs) as a thing that can happen yeah it just does and he's
0: been trying so hard for the whole movie to get these amulets and their ability seems to be make you into two kind of decent ninjas
2: okay to be fair the swords can cut through like presumably cut through souls and can just like phase through objects like a freaking lightsaber So,
0: like, that is cool. That's cool, but that's not I'm going to take over... New Angeles with it. Like, no. It's way more effective to just possess people. Right. Also, he already is implied to be the corporate overlord of the city. Like his name is on everything. Exactly. His name is on Rice Krispies in this universe.
1: That is a detail that I actually liked about the world building is that they never really say that he's the de facto like corporocratic leader of the city, but his logo shows up on everything.
0: Yeah, that's a fine element, but yeah. it means that I really want these magic amulets becomes an incredibly dumb thing for him to do. Especially when their power is this.
1: He's very petty. Yeah. It's
0: not, I have the ability to like reform the elements to my desire or like control massive amounts of people or like anything interesting. It's, I am two ninjas now. (laughs) It's interesting in a video game, Mm -hmm. not in a movie.
1: And then they hilariously just kick the two ninjas back together and it reforms into him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like he did. Also, a completely unexplained thing here he is just allergic to light
1: yeah yeah he just is it's like meta textually it's not explained in the film vaguely a reference to the idea that they are like shadow warriors and so they can't like they, they are harmed by the light but he has this like, like from
2: the it's established like in the beginning of the movie that he doesn't like oh. light he has to wear shades in his office because he he can't deal with the light
1: okay never mind I completely missed that
0: no yeah Carry it's on. foreshadowed and then it's like how they defeat him at the end but it's also like is he a vampire what's the deal <laughs> what's his deal yeah he's just a guy what's his deal
1: his, he's never his he he is no but he has no backstory.
0: He knew their dad.
1: He knew their dad. He knew Satori at some point. At some point, he was in Japan.
0: At some point, his dad, Satori or the dad satori and the villain were in japan they found out about the amulet somehow caused the the great
1: earthquake
0: the dad was like no these are bad yeah and so the villain killed him and satori split the amulets up and that's all we know and we don't know why or how we also have no idea who their mom is or what that situation was we know they both died in the quake in theory in practice it was apparently not that i don't know what's going on and it super doesn't matter also the villain at one point in time does a really Cool thing where he turns into a ghost or takes a cigar. Who is it? Does the really cool cigarette jump? Somebody does a cool thing where they like light a cigarette and then jump off a cliff or like into a pit or something. It's very wait. Dope. What?
1: Uh, <laughs> Are you talking about when he lights the fire in the theater? Oh. He lights. He lights his cigarette and then he turns into a shadow and the oh, matches yeah. drop onto the floor. That's really cool. Right?
0: That's yeah, that's a that was cool, cool thing he does. Oh, at one point in time. Oh,
1: Yeah, they live in an abandoned theater. By the way, that's just a thing.
0: That's just a thing. A Bobo tries to kill someone by hugging him. Really hard uh, for a very long period of time.
1: (laughs) He
2: he like gets knocked out. He just like apparently stops being able to breathe and goes to sleep for a minute before getting (laughs) you know rescued.
0: The base of the power core is an old television studio. It seems like they have a bonfire and a spotlight and some like cameras around.
1: Yeah, about the most interesting (laughs) thing I could say about the production design in this movie is that they do go out of their way to kind of bring and aesthetic elements from not even this game necessarily, but like video games in general mm-hmm. where like there are distinct environments and they're all very colorful and the water in the the like power core base is like tinted a very bright green yeah. and there's okay. like graffiti everywhere and stuff like that. That's kind of cool.
2: Can we quickly talk about the water, the like boat scene again? Because there was something that, uh, happily... that really stood out to me that I was just like, What? So there's, when they're in the boathouse being trying, the gangs are trying to get at them, trying to beat them up, uh, they are like, we can't swim out of here. That water is liquid death, which I thought was a nice touch because in, a lot of platformers and whatever with games they're like water is usually like oh you die you can't swim and I thought that was a nice touch except that later they are on the boat and the boat like everything explodes and they end up in the water and they just kind of swim away they don't like melt or anything I was expecting them to melt because they had said they'd melt and then other- apparently the water is just super polluted
0: yeah it's implied that the water has is like cholera ridden because they say something about like shitting themselves to death and it's like yeah I guess the fear is just that they'll get cholera
1: I guess and another thing about that scene is that earlier there's this cutaway shot of I think it's when they're f- like um, uh, driving down the river uh, where somebody is like pulling up a bucket of water from the river and they dump it into a like garbage can fire to oh, make yeah. the fire bigger
0: it's, it's weird I, I kind of get what they're going for but I mean choose a thing guys yeah yeah <laughs> at one point in time the villain monologues at the brothers about the like ancient Roman myth of Romulus and Remus yeah only to bring up the concept of a brother killing another brother that's only the only reason it's not like any deeper point it's just here's a story where one brother kills another one and I'm like there are lots of those dude (laughs) you (laughs) like
1: Can I, uh, yes, that reference is almost entirely meaningless. Uh, Can I bring up my favorite line that the villain delivers in this entire movie? Yes, Yes, please. So it's the scene with Abobo when he's threatening to put him in the machine and Abobo makes some kind of comment about, I don't remember exactly what, and the guy assures him that the machine is fine. He's like, I care about you like my own son and like my own son, I can always have another one. (laughs) That was incredible. I forgot about that. This
0: was the point where I was decided that I was just like in this movie for the villain. (laughs) Because he is is, like very stereotypical kid movie villain, but... He stays stone cold. They never play him as a joke. He stays like really cold throughout the whole movie. It's very good. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed about this movie, they cut to the news a few times. And did you notice what the news channel was?
2: What was the news channel?
0: Channel 69. Was it really? Yeah. It (laughs) was. Which I think is supposed to be a joke about, like, so many TV stations now, but is instead just a sex joke. (laughs) We uh, also have a moment. So I think I mentioned that Marion's dad is the, like, chief of police. And at one point in time, he realizes that he's been an idiot and not been doing his job as a cop and, like, tells all of the police officers to, like, come with him to stop the gangs. Yeah. And they're like, nah.
2: (laughs) And then he just drives off on his own.
0: Which is kind of a, like, strong move for him. It's like, okay, even if I don't have backup, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do, whatever. Die instantly. But then randomly the cops are all just there at the end. Yeah. Like, there's no secondary scene. There's, like, not a news shot or something. It's just, and then the cops are there.
1: Well, I think the idea is that they're coming to back him up, but there's at that point in the movie all of the conflict is already resolved yeah. so they're not.
0: He didn't call in for backup either. Yeah that's
1: that's uh, like, yeah.
0: The point I'm making is <laughs> there was no indication between the scene he left and the scene the cops get there to indicate why they would change their mind if they didn't when he gave them an inspirational speech. Yeah. It's like they all just had a conversation over donuts <laughs> and decided to do something that we just don't see. Yeah. <sighs> This movie's
1: dumb. <laughs>
0: so that's the end of my notes. Does anybody else have anything they feel like really need to talk about in Double Dragon, in the movie?
2: Oh, okay. Uh, there was one scene as where the power core serves as a distraction for the businessman Ko- Ko- Sh- Koga Shuko, Victor Geisman, um, where they all go into the lobby of his business building and just, like, skate around. I thought... They're they're just, like, on rollerblades and roller skates and skateboards, and I was just like, is this Jet Set Radio?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is, like, the most 90s moment, I think, Uh. in this entire movie is, and then the skaters come to save the day.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I appreciated it as someone who skates, but, like, man... Uh.
0: I grew up on a farm. I could never have learned how to skate. Pavement was just a distant dream.
2: You had ice. You're Canada. I
0: could have skated on ice, but that's different than skateboarding or roller skating. That's
2: true. There are transferable skills.
0: I've been on rollerblades once. I fell over. Well. Nathan, you know how to skate mildly, right? You were a 90s kid. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I
1: don't know how to skateboard. Uh, that was more my older brother's thing. I did rollerblade and ice skate
0: a little bit i can't ice skate i'm just yeah. bad at it and it's cold and i don't like it Aww. the other thing that happens in this scene is um Nathan was complaining about how big the vents are
1: yeah they're big enough for two people not even like on their hands and knees just crouched to walk side by side <laughs> What kind
0: of a building needs a ventilation system that size? Have you, especially when the air outside is deadly toxic? Apparently,
2: haven't you ever played a stealth game?
1: Haven't you played Deus Ex?
0: Yes, but there's only one person, like in event vent, usually. <laughs> I mean, this is also
1: a problem that those those games have. I mean, it, it's not actually an issue. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, no, definitely.
0: If this was a stealth game movie, maybe, which I don't know if there are <laughs> any of those yet, but I'm sure they'll get oh. there.
1: Well, I mean, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed maybe oh, counts. Right. That's I'm primarily stealth. I've been watching
0: Nathan play Assassin's then. Creed Origin and Odyssey, and I'm like really interested in actually playing these games now, and I'm going to be even more hurt when we watch like, <laughs> this movie now, because I'm like, oh, I actually care now. Damn it. I
1: have so many things to say about uh, Assassin's Creed. I still
2: that's haven't a while seen away it. yet. Oh, oh, sweetie. I know. I, I heard it was bad. Oh, honey.
0: It is. I'm sorry. It's going to hurt you, and that's going to make me laugh. <laughs> 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 sorry, I'm a terrible friend. Oh, you're fine. Uh, anyways, Nathan, did you learn anything else really interesting in our research?
1: I mean, there really isn't that much about the movie. Uh, the director actually has a career in music videos, and this is one of, like, two or three movies he directed. This was his first movie.
0: Oh, the other one was the one where the, like, White lady ends up in a cab for a really long time, and it's like a yes. dumb buddy movie, and it sounds really annoying.
1: He's done tons of music videos for some really big stars. Like he did some David Bowie stuff. He did lots of Genesis videos. Nice. He's probably um, a good
0: music video director. Well, probably fine.
1: Obviously, the skills are not transferable to feature-length film.
0: <laughs> every time, not every. Yeah, not. I mean, Michel Gondry can make a film.
1: That but is fair. Not everyone's is- Michel. Condry. That is a good counterpoint. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. But oh, did you ever find past. an English
0: version of that guy's Wikipedia page? No. For some reason, we couldn't find the director's Wikipedia page in any language but French. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. He's... I
2: found his INDB.
0: Yeah, it's. Long. He's kind of. Yeah, he's got lots of music video credits. He's presumably okay at that. Mm-hmm. He's... He just shouldn't make movies. Yeah. He doesn't anymore. So. Okay. We also couldn't figure out whether or not he was dead. Oh. So we're going to assume he's not. Yeah. I don't think he's dead. I think we would have been able to find it out if he was. I was just because it was the only reason I brought it up was because the last thing he did was two years ago. Right. Um. So I was like suspicious, but. I...
1: um. One of the writers is Peter Gould, who was a producer on Breaking Bad and the creator of Better Call Saul. Okay.
0: I mean, he's a lot of writers talent, have but... bad stuff in yeah. their early career. <laughs> Producing is a different skill set than writing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know, a lot of the cast behind this is not that interesting in the broader sense. Oh, uh the cinematographer did something interesting. We barely talked about it.
0: the fact that there's just a lady in black clothing this whole time that's primary weapon, weapon is a whip, but, like, that was honestly yeah. not that interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll get to some of the character stuff when I talk about the game, because... That's actually one of the areas where they're pretty good at pulling things in from the from the games.
0: From my understanding, the plot right. isn't.
2: Uh, no. They actually adapted a video game, which I'm sure you'll get to from this movie, as far as plot goes.
0: Oh wow.
1: Yeah. So the cinematographer on this movie is Gary Kibb, and he did They Live. Oh. Uh, Robocop Three. Uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is actually supposed to be a really good, like, kind of campy Lovecraftian horror movie, Hmm. which I haven't seen, but it's right up my alley, so I, I probably should. And then after this movie did Escape from L.A. New York is the first one. That was made in the 80s. L.A. is the sequel, and that was made in '96.
0: Okay, so the, I was thinking "Escape from LA," and I was right. Uh, "They Live" is also yeah pretty well liked. I haven't uh, seen it. Yeah, but. he
1: also did "Ghosts of Mars," so he must be have a pretty good working relationship with um Carpenter, John Carpenter.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not assuming that everybody who worked on this movie is a talentless hack. Just that, like, <laughs> some of them are, or at least that they are in the wrong place at the wrong time, trying to do the wrong thing.
1: Yeah. Like, I weirdly couldn't find much about behind the scenes production stuff, which is usually pretty common in video game movies, is that, like, the story behind it is super interesting. Like we saw that with Super Mario Brothers, that there's just a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes that's really interesting to dig into. This movie just seems pretty straightforward. They wanted to make a movie of this very popular video game and it turned out bad.
0: Yeah, I think this is more like 90s cash grab kids movie than anything else. Yeah. I could see this being something I accidentally rented from a blockbuster back in the day. (laughs) So, Nathan, the games. None of us are super familiar with this franchise. I think I played Double Dragon once at, like, an arcade. Oh, that's another thing. There's a Double Dragon arcade cabinet really prominently in this movie to the point where it's stupid and annoying.
1: I I wanted to bring that up, but I forgot about it. Yeah, mid-climax, the villain is facing down against Jimmy. I think it's Billy, actually. (laughs) Billy? It's one of the two. (laughs) He's facing down against one of the brothers And he, like, backs him into the, like, corner where the arcade cabinets are all laid out in the power core base. And the brother is framed square on, standing directly in front of a Double Dragon arcade cabinet. It's so heavy-handed. It's right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I... I
2: think I was too distracted by the fact that they were, like... Breaking the glass on the cabinets that I did was too that I didn't notice that what the cabinets were.
0: Yeah, it's the one he's like standing in front of for the only elongated shot in that mm. is the double dragon one, and his like face is blocking two of the letters, but it's like super obvious. I I I I.
1: <laughs> All right. So bef- before I jump into the games, there is another adaptation of the games that is not a movie. Hmm.
0: There's a novelization.
1: No. Is it an RPG? Ballet. No. The year before this came out, they launched Double Dragon, the animated series. No. Produced by Deke Animation. It ran for 26 episodes. It was a half hour show and it aired between 93 and 94. So this is over the production period of the movie. So it didn't have any bearing on that. But it's completely different. The plot is 100% not the same as the movie and also completely different than the games. Huh. And that's a thing that exists. All right, so Double Dragon the Games. The video game Double Dragon, uh, I believe it was released in 87 It's as like a- an arcade cabinet. It is a side-scrolling beat-em-up action game that is about a woman who gets punched in the stomach so hard she passes out and gets carried off by a thug and her boyfriend and his brother have to beat up all of the thugs to go find her and that's literally the extent of the game. Oh. It is It is not very deep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, these like side-scrolling beat 'em up games aren't arcade games. Rarely have much in the way of plot. To be
1: yeah, completely that, that honest, It's totally fair.
0: Video games in the '80s often were very light on plot. That's okay. Mm-hmm. They weren't about that. They were about sucking as many quarters out of a child's pocket as possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. So basically, there are four levels. They're separated into missions, and there are four different environments. There's a boss at the end of each one. And at the end of the game, you fight the leader of the gang that took Marion, who is the love interest in the game. Much better character in the movie, but that's not very hard. Uh, And this character is Willie, the leader of the gang, and he's not in the movie at all. Uh, But what is in the movie is a number of the like character types, the enemy types, are pulled from the game and turned into like individual characters in the movie. Like the clowns. No. Oh. None of the gangs, actually. Weirdly enough, that's another thing they just made up for the movie.
2: Interesting. <laughs> no.
1: Um. A Bobo is a named like I mean not named in the game because none of the characters are actually given names, but like named by the production and he's a boss in one of the levels he's a beefy muscular guy uh so he's lifted from the game and put straight into the movie There's also an enemy type called Lash, these women who are the only female enemy in the game, as far as I am aware, that go around in these, like, skin-tight, like, jumpsuits and sometimes wield whips, and they were lifted from the game and adapted into the character of Linda Lash in the movie, who is the sexy blonde woman who goes around with a whip. And then there's just several other, like two or three other just kind of generic gangster type characters, and a lot of palette swaps that are used as other boss types.
0: So the villain of the game isn't Kogoshuko. I assumed that the villain was named that, and that's why they went with it.
1: it's a dude named Willy. (laughs) Kogoshuko... Shuku. Shuko... Shuko?
0: By the way, a dude named Willie is my least favorite Johnny Cash song.
1: Victor Geisman was entirely invented for the movie, as is the amulet and all of the magic that happens. Wait, what? That is all made up for the movie. Yeah. The amulet's not in the game. Oh my God. Satori's not in the game. Uh, That makes sense. Victor Geisman's not in the game. Marion is in the game, but she is an entirely non active character that needs to be rescued.
0: Props for making Marion a character, I guess? Yeah. That's
1: the first game.
0: But they fridge Satori to make up for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. The second game, uh, the gameplay is largely the same. And there are varying versions of all of these. I'm mostly going off of the arcade versions because those were like the primary releases. There's a sequel, and. The- I'm going to go through all the ones that came out before the movie. Uh, there's a sequel, Double Dragon 2, that opens with Marion getting shot to death by Willie. And then the entire game is Jimmy and Billy beating up his gang to get revenge. Wow. The third game, suddenly magic exists because the third game is about uh, Jimmy and Billy and sometimes a third character that's a palette swap because they introduced three-player. Traveling around the world because a fortune teller told them there were three magic stones that they could use to unlock an ancient power. And that game ends with you going to... You go to three different countries. It's China, Japan, and Italy, and you find the stones. And then you take them to Egypt to Cleopatra's tomb... Where you awaken Cleopatra because she wants to defend her treasures and she's the final boss. <sighs> but in the home release versions of this, there's a different ending to to uh, Double Dragon 2 where Marion gets resurrected. Well what? then. And... In Double Dragon Three, in the home versions of that, it's not Cleopatra that you awaken at the end. It's a uh, princess. I'm trying to remember what the name. It's like Noiram or something like that. And it turns out it's Marion back from the dead and now she's evil and you have to defeat her.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean,
1: it
0: makes more sense than fighting Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, it's all
1: nonsense. These games were mostly well-loved because they were technically super impressive for the time and they, they're largely responsible for the beat-em-up genre becoming like a thing. Sure. Um, this is the same company that made Renegade and I think maybe River City Ransom.
0: I've played some River City Ransom. Like, beat-em-ups are fun. Yeah. They're not.
1: And, like, this game is fun, and it plays pretty smoothly, especially for, like, a game from 1987
0: but they, there have been good beat-em-up movies this isn't one of them they're not trying to make a beat-em-up yeah. movie in this though they're trying to make a kid That's adventure movie
1: like similar to super mario brothers the movie completely ignores almost everything from the premise of the game and just takes a grab bag of references and just kind of crowbars <laughs> them into an existing movie script and like it's it's just It's so obvious and so kind of meaningless. It's just, you know, a a collection of symbols that don't actually have any meaning.
0: So if you want to watch a movie that actually feels like a beat-em-up game, go to... Uh, less so, but it's a good mix of beat up and adventure. Scott Pilgrim versus the world mm. or watch yes. The Raid or John Wick mm, or John yeah, Wick 2 John Wick. or John uh, Wick 3. The,
1: the new um, Judge Dredd is a really good one for that too.
0: Yes. Yeah. See, there is a way to do this. And a couple of those movies even have themes. Oh, that's the thing. Like An
1: action game should theoretically be one of the easiest kinds of games to adapt because video games... Part of the way they tell their story is by the way you interact with the world. And in an action beat-em-up style game, the primary way you do that is by punching. And that's a thing we can portray in cinema really well. <laughs> yeah. We've done that. We figured that out. <laughs>
0: and we've figured out new and exciting ways of doing it in recent years. Yeah.
1: yeah, John Wick. You you would think that it would be easy to just take the like bare premise of a game and just just focus on filling out the characters and then letting the action kind of take care of itself.
0: Or just like focus your entire budget instead of on a post-apocalyptic LA on fight choreography. Mm hmm. Ed stuff. Other
1: things that you vaguely get referenced in the movie is that there are certain versions of the first game uh, that couldn't do um, multiplayer just because of the platform they were released on. And so what they did instead of including multiplayer is, in some versions, uh, it was like uh, Super Mario Brothers style where if one char- one player died, the next player character would jump in and you'd swap turns. And at the end of those versions of the game, uh, you would actually have to fight the opposing player character to see who would get to date Marion at the end of the game. Uh Which turned into, uh, in the animated series, at the end of the pilot episode, I think it's Jimmy starts out on the villain's side in the animated series. Jimmy and Billy fight at the end of the pilot episode, and he ends up joining the good side instead of staying with the villains. And they vaguely reference that in the movie by having the villain take over the body of one of the brothers and making them fight each other.
0: Mm. Sort of, kind of, maybe. Sort of, kind
1: of, maybe a little bit.
0: I don't know. I mean, another minor point in this movie's favor, it doesn't make Marianne a prize by the end of it. It's unclear by the end if she's actually with either of them and she's just a useful member of the team. So cool, I guess
1: yeah uh, yeah i mean the
0: i just find it hard to be enthusiastic (laughs) about this movie
1: i'm not gonna say the games have no merit because obviously they are part of a very important legacy in the history of game design but as far as the narrative and character of these games go they're pretty boilerplate when they're not being kind of offensive
0: (laughs) so yeah this was double dragon uh, on our entirely arbitrary rating systems, I give this movie one quarter of an amulet. Nathan?
1: On a scale from one to Yoshi, I give this movie half a dragon.
0: All right, Alexi, do you have a, a rating for us for this film, I guess?
2: On a scale from like zero to John Wick, I give it like, I don't know, 25%. <laughs> on
0: a scale from. From John Wick to Hercules in New York, I give this movie uh, uh, Three Ninjas Three, the one where it's different kids. It's the one where they go to the theme park, right? <laughs> I don't remember. I saw it once and people were talking over it for an improv show. Uh. So this has been Double Dragon. Next up is Street Fighter. Uh, we are actually, me and Nathan, are seeing that in a theater soon so that's gonna be exciting gonna be a really fun time
1: i never thought i would say this but of the two video game movies released this year street fighter is the better movie
0: (laughs) i haven't seen street fighter but (laughs) i'm pretty sure it is the better movie at least it has Raul julia in it you know
1: yeah that's there's a weird trend with video game movies where like occasionally the villains in them are just great yeah
0: (laughs) so next week is street or next Whatever, next whenever this is released is Street Fighter. I have been Mackenzie Easton. This has been Nathan Bertram. And
2: Lexi Conwell.
0: And this has been Video Game, the movie, the podcast. You can find the podcast at VGTM Podcast at Twitter.com.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerd Tram.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Kenzie Phoenix and Lexi. You
2: can find me at at Conwell underscore Alex.
0: Thank you all for tuning in uh, and don't forget to go to the bank and get some quarters for the video games. That's my new tagline. Hope you all like it. <laughs> you want me to try a new tagline? Game over. <laughs> Game over.
2: You died.